So in the early days, the initial idea was if we create credit scores and a better way to understand these customers, we could then just pass them to financial institutions. And those institutions should be hungry for these customers and should want to lend to them. That was not the case. Uh, so... Welcome to Startup Gym, a show about the hard work, coaches, and community that go into building a company. Today's episode is with Shivani Soroya, founder and CEO of Tala, a mobile technology and data science company committed to financial inclusion globally. Their incredible app provides personalized financial services in emerging markets. I got to join Shivani at the company's office here in Santa Monica to talk about their mission and her story. Let's get into it. So, Shivani, you've said before that you loved comic books growing up. What's your superpower? I I love comic books, um, but I think, first of all, I think the reason I love comic books is because I always think of it as it's just cool to think about the fact that there's you know, ordinary people that are walking around that have these special abilities um, or can potentially see things that we in general can't see. I think my superpower is, uh, is really believing in people and the ability to kind of uh, not have that judgment, but actually be willing to just listen and to observe uh, and to be uh, really present. Um, so rather than just saying it's about having empathy and that being your superpower, I think having empathy actually means that you have the ability to listen without judgment. What do you typically look for in people? Like what specific traits do you care about? I care a lot about uh, helping them actually find their voice. So I think that obviously relates back to the work that we do, but I think in general, a lot of times there is this sort of uh, fictional obstacle that we all put in front of ourselves. Um, and when I think about how can you show up, be empathetic, listen to someone, what you're trying to do is really understand what they are at the core um, and where they're going in, in their journey. And if you can connect with that, then I think all the other pieces kind of fall into place. So the origin story of Tala is that Part of it, at least, is that you set out to solve a problem while you were an investment banker. What made you decide to commit to it full time? I, as I mentioned, viscerally believed in the customers that I had interviewed before. And sometimes you find a problem that you can't stop thinking about. And I ended up, you know, I was like, hey, are there other people that are actually trying to solve this problem? I'll just join them. And so I went onto LinkedIn. I went onto Twitter. I used any channel I could to actually find these individuals. And so I joke about it, but I ended up actually interviewing or emailing about 1,500 people on LinkedIn. Um, and I got a pretty good hit rate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about 30% of oh, people wow. actually wrote back. And when you, again, put yourself out there and say, what I'm looking for is feedback and advice, mm -hmm. people are willing to help. Uh, but as I kept on having those conversations, eventually people just kept saying, no one's doing this. And so you should do it. Go do it. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of it. Cool. What was the original idea that you ran with that would ultimately become Tala? How did that idea come about? 
as a second piece of that, what is Tala today? Uh, so when I worked at the UN Population Fund, I had this opportunity to interview, you know, about 3,500 people across nine different countries and really understand their daily lives. Um, and what I found was this massive problem around, you know, the lack of access to financial services, but more so the lack of access to customized financial products. Um, that are really helping people with what they want to do with money, what they need to do, and what they should do. And so this problem actually affects about 3 billion people around the world who are currently underserved from financial institutions. So by actually interviewing those 3,500 people, I started to realize that their daily life was a better indicator of how we should actually be serving them. By actually witnessing how they run their businesses, who they interact with, how they actually spend their money, and the decisions that they're making around how they budget or allocate capital allows us to then understand what's their capacity, what's their character, how would you actually serve this person over the long term. When you were talking to those 3,500 people about their relationship with money, what types of questions were you asking them? So this goes back to that piece around being able to just listen and to observe. I didn't actually ask questions. I actually just followed them around. So I would go to Literally their homes. Literally followed them around. Mm -hmm. wow. I would spend the day with them. So I would go to their homes in the morning. I would sit in their stores um, and I would actually see how much money they made that day, how many customers came in. I would then go to the market with them and I would see how much they spent on food, on electricity, on their supplies for the next day. I would go back home with them and see how much they put towards, you know, their kids' allowances or how much went under a mattress. And I got to really understand that daily life. Wow, that's a great way of being empathetic. That is true empathy, tying back to the previous conversation topic. So what is Tala today? So Tala today is an Android platform that allows customers to gain access to financial services. Um, our first product is credit. And so when a customer downloads the app, they can, they'll give us access to key pieces of information that are sitting on their device that allow us to start the credit scoring process. In addition to that, we ask them a, a few questions within the loan application. We then provide them with an instant decision regardless of their financial history. And then Tala also acts as a lender, and we will actually then take a risk against that credit score. When you talk about pulling data from users' phones, what, what are some examples? What are the data points that you're pulling? So this goes back to that, that observation that daily life data is a better indicator of credit worthiness and how you should actually service a customer. So the kind of data that we're bringing in is transaction data. So again, we want to understand someone's capacity. We want to understand their identity. So we're bringing in device level data that allows us to understand is the individual that's actually applying the person that's holding this phone and the owner of that device. We're bringing in primary and secondary social network information, but not to understand how many friends do you have and you know who do you talk to, but rather again as another verification of your identity. The other information that we bring in, again, goes into character. And again, verifying, it's a lot more important for us to understand, you know, is this person fraudulent? And is this person actually someone that can afford 
credit. And from there, we actually believe we can service about 95% of the population. Wow. Globally. Globally. Where are you today? Uh, so globally, uh, we have over 1.3 million people on the platform, and that's over the last two years. Um, and we're working currently across three different countries. Awesome. So you've spoken before about how, speaking of credit, your mom as a doctor gave credit to her patients so that she could give them services. And you've spoken a little bit about your experience witnessing that. In what ways has your family and background educated how you build your business? I think it's influenced me a lot. Um, so I think, you know, uh, witnessing how my mother, you know, cared for her patients, uh, it was very much black and white for her in the sense of someone needs care. You don't even think about it. You act. Um, so I think that aspect of my upbringing in terms of being in service for other people and trying to, you know, really have an impact, I think, was always with me. But I think the other aspect has that really has stayed with me, I think, comes from my grandmother. So uh, traditionally in a lot of, you know, Indian families, but in a lot of religions, you know, they call it, you know, people will do fasts um, and there's various versions of fasts, right? So you can fast from food, but you could also fast from talking even, right? And if you, and so this is a it's a practice that she used to also do, which is you know training your mind and your reactions to not always need to react um, and being able to just sit sometimes and listen to everybody else. Um, and so that was something that again I think helped me along the way, which is how can you just listen? Did you expect to be an entrepreneur? I did not. It sounds like the timeline of your journey is. Investment banking, econometrics, and, and finance, and obviously the UN. Back to investment banking, I think I learned. Yep. And then now you're starting a business. Did you always want to do something in finance? And then how did that ultimately end up in starting a company? I, I mean, I always knew I was going to stay in finance in mm -hmm. some form. I, I love numbers. And I do, I do love spreadsheets. I love building models. Um, and that, that has always stayed with me. And it's always the way my mind has kind of worked. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think until finding this problem, it was more just, okay, like, what else can I do in finance? And just continuing to be uh, in that industry, I would say, I'm very competitive. And so in some ways, investment banking and you know, working in that kind of environment actually worked to me, worked right. to, for me. Um, but I think that sometimes, you know, problems sort of slap you in the face. And I, I actually would have to say that had I not had the experiences that I had in terms of working in investment banking, working at the UN, you know, coming from the upbringing that I did, I'm not sure I would have been positioned as well to see the problem and to also see how these different things could actually come together. Hmm. So that, I think that's a great background. Give us a typical demographic of your users. Who are you serving? So Tala focuses on the underserved. And so our customers are generally making between $300 to about $500 uh, per month. At most, they'll make about $1,000 per month. Uh, depending on the market that we're looking at. I would call them sole proprietors, sole proprietors. plus consumers, right? Sure. So at the end of the day, 
there is a very fluid use case here where you're running a business, but you are also a consumer or you are a fully employed person and you have a side hustle, you know, that you do on the weekends so that you can make more money. And what are those businesses? What are some examples of the businesses they're running? So generally our customers are under the age of 35. You know, they're somewhere between, I would say, 28 and 35 years old. Uh, the kind of businesses that we've seen, you know, we see everything from an urban DJ, you know, using mm. our credit product to actually go buy equipment. Um, so again, something very relatable to us. We see, you know, people running food stalls who then use the capital to increase the number of food stalls or open up a restaurant. We see people running businesses like hair salons and curtain businesses out of their homes. Um, so it's really kind of a wide range of everything. In the early days, what kind of pushback did you receive from financial institutions? So in the early days, the initial idea was if we create credit scores and a better way to understand these customers, we could then just pass them off, pass them to financial institutions. And those institutions should be hungry for these customers and should want to lend to them. That was not the case. Uh, so first of all, there is just an overall perception of risk of this population. And so as much as we tried to get institutions to use our scores, we started to realize that it was just a slog. Mm. <laughs> uh, if they don't believe in the customer base and understand the value there of serving these consumers and realizing that these are going to be very valuable consumers over the long run, you can't kind of fight perception sometimes. Right. You just have to show them and prove that it is true. What are their motives behind thinking that way? Like, why are why is the traditional banking system have so many issues in this sense? So it's hard to serve this customer base. We have found a way to reach them very cost efficiently, to be able to score them without meeting them in person, which is traditionally how it's done for this customer base, which is, again, very costly. We've also found ways to service them without meeting them in person or picking up the phone. We do everything digitally. And most institutions that are traditional financial institutions, I would say both in emerging markets, but even here in the US, they don't, that, that capacity of working in a digital only environment or being a data science team at your core, that's not how they've actually been built. And so for them to fully change would actually take a while. When you got started, what did you see in these people that they didn't? I, I saw hardworking, capable people that were very trustworthy and creditworthy. Um, but what I also saw, I think that others did not see, is that there was a trail of a credit history. And yes, I observed that credit history in person, but what I realized, and this was that moment, is that that credit history is sitting right on our phones. Mm -hmm. And so if all of these individuals now have access to a mobile device, then let's not go meet them in person, but let's, let, let's actually meet them on that device. Right. So you were looking where they weren't. That's awesome. So now you've come a long way in proving out that business and that mission. How have your conversations changed with financial institutions? 
So now it is pretty funny. Institutions actually come inbound right. <laughs> asking for our credit scores. And I think we also see it as a value that we can provide to our customers over time. That is there a product here where, you know, with that relationship set up for them, we can help them transition to formal small business loans uh, where, you know, institutions at that point are now ready for it. I don't want to go down too deep of a rabbit hole here. How many of your conversations these days involve cryptocurrency? <laughs> and what do those conversations look like? I feel like inevitably it comes <laughs> up. If you're having an investment conversation, you know, I think it's like the icing on the cake at this mm -hmm. point, um, or you're speaking at a conference, right. it'll always come Especially up. Especially this year. So the, the conversations come up a lot. But I think that the conversations usually, and the way I guide them is to say, you know, our customer base does not understand crypto. Mm. Right. Right. So if we are going to use it, we are using it on the back end. Right. We're thinking about it more as how do we actually help our customers manage their identities that we're creating for them? How can we enable them to upload more data, more stories that can actually help build that holistic profile? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, identity is really just a collection of stories of who you are, and it's the validation of those stories. So could you share some success stories of your customers that over the course of the years have made you smile? Yeah, there's been amazing stories. And actually, I just came back from the Philippines. Um, so I just got to meet some of our customers there as well. But uh, there's two women that come to mind. Uh, their name is Paris and Betsy. And uh, the reason I think the, the story always like kind of makes me so excited about this work is they're just, you can like sense that hunger and that drive in them. And that I think is in all of us, right? Um, but basically, these are two, two women. They graduated from college uh, about now, about two and a half years ago. And that's when they started using our, our platform. So they graduated from college. Their parents told them, you know, you're out. <laughs> We're not supporting you anymore. We paid for college. And, right. you know, where go do they live. go? Right. Uh, and these two women said to themselves, they're like, well, we don't want just desk jobs. Mm. You know, we want uh, to work for ourselves, to do something different, but they had no money. But a very common story. Very common one story. One that a lot, can, a lot of people can relate to. <laughs> exactly. And so they ended up actually that day going to a flea market. Um, and they, you know, thought about it and they said, you know, wait a minute, we've got great style. Um, <laughs> people always tell us that. What if we buy some dresses and kind of redo them a bit and then send, sell them back to our fellow students at a profit? Uh, super entrepreneurial, yeah. super creative. Um I just love it. And so they actually downloaded our app right at the flea market. They actually got credit in under two minutes and they bought some dresses, redid them, and they actually sold them to their students. It worked. And they got the bug. And so then they did it again. And so they've actually been customers of ours for now the last two and a half years. Uh, not only have they grown that business, they've now hired another individual to help run the, the selling part. Um, because they're actually now focused on designing their own fashion line and they've actually gone on to get a formal loan from a traditional financial institution. 
That's so great. I think what it tells us is that they can keep using us as that revolving line of credit working capital, but then they also now have a larger pool of capital that can come from the formal marketplace. Sure. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I read you've given more than four and a half million loans and have a repayment rate over 90%. Are those numbers accurate? So the numbers are accurate um, and we've now done more than that. And what number is your North Star? Like, What do you optimize for? Our success is what we call the number of financial identities that we create. So again, only about 31% of the adult world population is even covered or in a credit bureau. So there are billions of people around the world that we don't even see. And so our goal ultimately and first is about how do we actually get these individuals to be seen, to be trusted, and then you know we can all start to service them. How do you do that? What are the most important mechanisms for growth for you? It's interesting. I think we think of it as three different things. At the end of the day, there's the value of the product. There is universal demand for credit. Right. And so the fact that we have been able to really hone in on that piece and to be able to deliver on the promise to the customer, these are customers, if we remember, that have never been taken seriously right. or served by the market. And so when we tell them, you can download our application, apply for a loan, get an instant decision, regardless of your financial history, they don't believe it initially. And so then to get credit in their account, they actually say it's magic. Yeah, it is magical. <laughs> it does sound magical. Um, but I would say the other two pieces are again around you know, once it works for one person, the thing that's really worked for us is organic growth. And so about 40% of our customers are actually coming in through word of mouth, through organic traffic. And then the last piece is obviously like as that starts happening, our brand has mm -hmm. actually then, you know, continued to increase. Great. Speaking of brand, I don't think we went over this. Tala, the name, where does it come from? So Tala means many different things uh, across lots of geographies and uh, cultures. Uh, really where it came from was, you know, our first market was East Africa. It was Kenya. And in Swahili, Tala means uh, heart center or touchstone. From there, we actually went to Southeast Asia and went to the Philippines. Surprisingly, Tala in Tagalog means rising star or bright star. Cool. So it means kind of that North Star. Right. Um, but then it goes further. And so in Hindi and in Urdu, you know, Tal means rhythm and music. But Tala means something that is secure or a lock, which also resonates with money. In Persian and in German, it means gold. In Samoan, it means money or currency. And then it's also a name of a city across seven different countries around the world. That is a meaningful word. Just like your billion meaningful company, if it's well. What are you most proud of? Um, so the I would have to say that there are two things. The first thing is what I'm proud of is the fact that we actually acted. So we could have stayed at just a data science company that was using mobile data to create credit scores and then just continue to try to market those scores to financial institutions. But instead, we recognize the fact that the value chain and the financial system was broken from all sides. And 
you know, in order to really solve this problem, we decided we actually had to put our own money into this and to really prove that these customers are credit worthy and trustworthy. And so I think that's the first thing that I am really proud of is that both our investors and our team, we all decided to go for it. Take the risk. To right. take the risk. Um, and I think a lot of times startups, you know, um, you have your initial idea. It feels risky to to kind of put, you know, more behind a hypothesis. But I think, again, it, got, it went back to believing in people for us and knowing that unless we actually had the data, we wouldn't actually be able to take any action. Uh, the second thing that I'm really proud of is how we're building our team. So internally at Tala and even externally for our customers, our DNA is radical trust. And that's what everything boils down to for us. So we do have other values, but at the end of the day, what we think about and how we interact with each other is radical trust. And so what I'm really, really proud of is seeing the fact that, you know, every new person that's joined this team has that same skill of being able to listen, being able to not have that judgment, and then based on what you learn, actually learn from it and actually take action. And so for us, that is what Radical Trust is about. It's about that two-way street um, and actually showing up and listening. I've heard you say before that you interviewed every new hire as the final interview. Do you still do that? And why did you think that was important? So I, I do still do it. Cool. <laughs> um, I've obviously had to uh, change kind of maybe the levels at which I have to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, we are now globally <laughs> right. over 200 people. Wow. Where are your different offices? So we have an office in Nairobi, in Kenya, in Dar es Salaam, in Tanzania, and then in Manila um, in the Philippines wow. as well. Okay. So why was that important to you to interview every hire? Why is that important to you? I think it goes back to that piece of connectedness. And so it wasn't that, you know, I'm the only person on the team that's interviewing for the, you know, our values and, um, you know, being aligned to the mission. But I think it, it went back to what I'm, what we're trying to build here is, you know, a very nimble team of people that truly believe in, in what we're doing. And, think that I also get energy from that connection um, to our team and to how we're all doing this together. Is there a question or topic of discussion that you call back to regularly in those interviews? I feel like I can't give everything away. <laughs> <laughs> Trade secrets. Uh, but I think uh, a question that actually does throw most people off, mm -hmm. um, but I actually do ask everyone this, is, you know, as your teammate, not as the CEO, but as your teammate, what can I do to set you up for success? Mm. And most people look at me in total shock. <laughs> um, and they're like, what? <laughs> no one's Shocked ever- that you're asking them that yeah, at all. Yeah. Right? And most people uh, have never been asked that question. Mm. And the, the reason I'm asking the question is that if we believe in you, then the point is actually to put you in an environment where you're going to succeed, right? And so if I hear from that answer that maybe we don't actually have that ability, right, then- 
maybe we actually shouldn't be making this decision. What are you excited about? So I think what I'm most excited about is, for one, I think everyone's woken up to this uh, to this realization that there is a massive opportunity in emerging markets, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know this underserved customer is not is is actually very meaningful. And these are just consumers, just like the rest of us, and people just like the rest of us that should be served. Um, so that's the first thing. I think the second thing, though, is that I'm actually starting to, to see a lot of people get into these markets and to be just so creative with it. Um, so you see tons and tons of entrepreneurs now reaching out to us to say, how do we use your platform? How can we learn from you guys? I'm doing this thing, you know, while I'm working full time. And I think what gets me excited is that that's happening more and more often. Um, and when I was starting, I think that sometimes I felt like I was maybe in a little bit of a vacuum, not having that community. And I think, you know, what I see in places like LA, for instance, or even in Nairobi or in Manila, that like that that's happening, right? Um, so there's a lot mm-hmm. more of that entrepreneurial spirit um, amongst right. all of us. Great, I love that, that gets me excited. So where is Tala in five years? What are your goals? both as a company and also personally, what are your goals? Where would you like to be in five years to see yourself grow as a leader and see your company grow? So five years from now, I still want to be here. I think we will definitely not just be doing credit. Hmm. We will have a full financial services platform. And I see us as being that brand and that financial partner to customers in emerging markets and also across other developed markets. I see us being on multiple continents. So I would say at least three continents. I see us in about 10 different countries. And I think the the thing that I really see for us in the next five years is to be able to show people that we can do things differently. Mm. So first is from a mission and profitability side to be able to show banks and other institutions that you can build a very profitable and mission-driven organization. And then I think from a team perspective, in terms of the fact that, again, when you look around our team, this is not the typical startup. These The individuals that are on our engineering team, our data science team, all of our different functions, they actually, again, not only have that passion and they come from different backgrounds, but many of them are actually from the markets that we work in. So I think that changes how you actually have your team culture and how you build your product. And then I think uh, the last piece is, again, how you run the company from the inside. And so... I haven't seen most companies run with this idea of radical trust. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the only way that we can actually enable all of those voices from our global offices to actually work together and to be used. Awesome. Totally awesome. So we started this conversation talking about comic books and superpowers. Who are your superheroes? It's a hard question because I would actually have to say many people. Mm-hmm. So there's not one person sure. that I look at. Um, and I think it goes back to the fact that when you can find that connection between people, um, 
you start to realize everyone kind of is a superhero in mm-hmm. their own way, right? And it's just about helping them identify what that superpower actually is. I really do believe that all of us have that within ourselves. Awesome. So where can people learn more about Tala and any call to action or anything you would like to say here at the end? We are hiring okay. across all that. of our quite offices. quite a few lines on the website. <laughs> so we're hiring right here in Santa Monica, uh, but then we are also hiring globally. Um, and there will be other offices opening up. So, you know, please check out our website. It's just Tala, T-A-L-A dot C-O. Cool. And I will link that in the show notes and make sure people find their way to you. Great. Thank Thanks, you Shumani. again for having me. Thanks again to Shivani Soroya for a really inspiring conversation. Since recording this, Tala has announced $65 million in new financing, new offices in Mexico City and Mumbai, and have reached over 6.4 million loans given. The company is growing, their mission and culture are amazing, and as Shivani mentioned, they're hiring. To find out how you can join the team and work with purpose, visit tala.co slash careers. My name's Laz at Laz Alberto on Twitter if you have any feedback. Thanks for listening.